Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Governments around the world have invoked emergency powers to combat COVID-19. And that makes sense. This is, after all, a true emergency. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're living in a part of the country or of the world under some sort of shelter-in-place or lockdown order. But some governments, many in fact, are using this moment of emergency as little more than a pretext to further consolidate power, crack down on a free press, and restrict civil liberties. This is happening in authoritarian countries, but also in some democracies. On the line with me to discuss how regimes around the world are using the coronavirus pandemic to justify crackdowns and human rights abuses is Philippe Bolopion, who is the Deputy Director for Global Advocacy at Human Rights Watch. We kick off discussing the example of Hungary, where a parliament controlled by the illiberal Prime Minister Viktor Orban recently passed a sweeping measure giving Orban near-dictatorial powers. We then discuss other examples around the world of leaders invoking COVID-19 to entrench themselves in power, and also how what is happening today is very reminiscent of the weeks and months following the September 11th attacks in 2001. So two things stick out to me from our conversation. The first is how this pandemic is serving as an accelerant to certain negative trends in global human rights we were already seeing before the virus hit. The second is how governments are now making widespread means of population control that were initially developed to target minority populations. We discuss both of these issues in detail, and this episode is obviously very timely, but I think it's also very helpful as you understand and interpret events that are taken perhaps by your own government. So a couple of quick notes before we start. I am in a bit of a better rhythm now in terms of homeschooling children and working from home. So to that end, I am going to start regularly releasing bonus episodes once again for premium subscribers to the show. The episode that I'm posting this week is my conversation with Dr. Peter Hotez, who is one of the world's leading experts on global health issues, including the current pandemic and also neglected tropical diseases. And we had a really interesting conversation a couple years ago in which he told me his life and career. These bonus episodes, I've posted dozens of them so far, and will continue to post them on a very regular basis, basically explore the life and career of people who are influential or interesting in foreign policy, world affairs, global development, global health, the kinds of issues that I typically cover on the podcast. But these episodes are long-form interviews in which they discuss their life and career, often with interesting digressions about historic events in which their life and career intersected. To access that bonus episode, unlock the dozens of other bonus episodes, and also 
get other rewards like access to my daily global news clips service. You can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. And I'll also post a link on the description field of this podcast episode. You'd help me support the show. You'd unlock great content for yourself. So thank you. Also, I continue to receive messages from you uh, about your life in this crazy time in which we're living. And I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I am so glad that the podcast is a source of inspiration or comfort or knowledge or has just a meaningful place in your life. Thank you. It means so much to me that this means so much to you, especially during these kinds of isolating times. Please do feel free to reach out to me if there's anything on your mind. You know, just remember you're not alone in this. We're all in this together. If you want uh, some camaraderie, just reach out. I'm, I'm happy to uh, chat with you. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com, and I really do look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. All right, now here is my conversation with Philippe Bolepion of Human Rights Watch. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, I would say Hungary is almost the poster child of, of uh, countries' governments with uh, authoritarian tendencies that are using the pretext of addressing the COVID-19 crisis to actually uh, restrict further uh, checks and balances uh, in the country. So Parliament passed a law uh, earlier this uh, week that essentially is giving pretty much uh, full powers to the Prime Minister. Uh, Victor uh, Orban is now uh, able to issue decrees uh, to suspend uh, laws. Uh, there are new laws on the book uh, that uh, provide for up to five years in jail for people who allegedly uh, provide uh, misinformation about uh, the spread of uh, COVID-19. So it, it essentially uh, turns uh, Hungary into arguably one of the first uh, countries in Europe uh, that, that cannot be considered to be a fully uh, liberal democracy anymore. And, and that uh, uh, gives the potential for a, a really concerning uh, prolonged situation of, of uh, uh, an authoritarian uh, regime or a regime with authoritarian uh, tendencies. And so it's, it's of course, very uh, worrying because uh, measures... Uh, that that are uh, um, uh, passed at times of crisis like this one have a way of uh, becoming permanent a and they can have a corroding uh, effect on on democracy a and we've seen that in in other countries you know we've seen that in the US after 9/11 some of the, the the laws of the war on terror have become a fixture of life in the US and have uh, restricted protections against surveillance. Uh, have at some point uh, almost legalized the, the use of torture. 
So we are very wary of governments who are using the pretext of uh, COVID-19, of the, the pandemic, to actually pass very uh, restrictive yeah. laws. I do want to get into that broader question of what happens after the crisis to all these laws that are enacted during the crisis, uh, because I know there's been research on that and there are trends that we can certainly discuss using 9-11 as the, the, the kickoff point. But on, on Hungary specifically, I mean, you, know, you, you had a country that was already, as you said, in the midst of democratic backsliding, which is this idea that, you know, the institutions of a government, like its judiciary or parliament can be subject to certain parochial whims, parochial political whims, and eventually sort of erode the checks and balances that are needed to prop up democracy, including, I should say, a free and fair media. And, you know, that process was already happening, happening in, in Hungary. But I think what is so, so shocking, at least to me, is, you know, how COVID-19 has just accelerated that trend just to, to like light speed. It just happens so quickly. Yes, absolutely. And, and first, I, sh I should uh, say that, of course, we, we do recognize that in a time of uh, a public health emergency like this one, uh, we do we do understand that that governments have to take uh, decisive action and, and sometimes uh, push for measures that that conflict uh, with uh, you know uh, basic freedoms that we we take for granted, like uh, including the, the freedom of of movement. Uh, so it's not uh, you know we don't take issue with the fact that that governments uh, at times of emergency uh, need to uh, uh, to act decisively. But when they do, they should always respect international law. And the response to the, the crisis should be uh, justified, it should be uh, proportionate, and it should be uh, time-bound, time uh, meaning it, it shouldn't be for uh, you know, uh, uh, an undetermined uh, amount of time, which sadly is, is the case uh, in, in Hungary, where essentially the prime minister has a two-third majority in the parliament that passed this law, and it's only that same two-third majority in Parliament that can lift it and put an end to it. So there is, you know, essentially uh, the Prime Minister uh, is in a position to decide himself uh, when the state of uh, uh, emergency uh, could be lifted. And in the meantime, there will be no uh, election. So it gives him uh, tremendous uh, power. So yes, it's, it's not uh, a surprise in the sense that the, you know, these tendencies have been uh, playing out for years now uh, in Hungary, but we are now in, uh, in a completely new uh, territory that we believe uh, should trigger a very strong reaction from the European Union. Where else uh, have you been monitoring in which you've seen uh, this kind of, of trend, either of backsliding or of governments using COVID-19 as a pretext to uh, clamp down on human rights or civil liberties? Well, I would say there are, there are a number of places where measures have been taken in the name of uh, uh, addressing the public health emergency that have been uh, of, of concern to, to us. It's, it's almost hard to uh, give you a list because there have been so many of them. I, I think by by now we have more than than fifty countries or so that have declared uh, some sort of a state of emergency, which of course uh, suspends a, a lot of the the usual uh, check and and uh, balances. I think uh, uh, one of the most concerning aspect of the response by government is is the way they try to uh, restrict 
the flow of information. Because in a public health emergency like this one, for people to have access to uh, uh, verified, uh, solid uh, information is actually uh, key to fighting the, the, the pandemic. And, and we've seen it started in China. In China, in the early days of the, 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 epi the epidemic of coronavirus, the Chinese government tried to suppress information, including uh, that, uh, in, including information uh, provided by the, the, the frontline doctors in China who were uh, trying to treat uh, patients. And in fact, the, the, the Communist Party, uh, the Chinese Communist Party had to, to take the extraordinary step of, of apologizing down the line for doing this. But we see that a lot of countries are, are trying to, to, uh, uh, to uh, enforce, you know, fake news type of uh, 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 provisions in the name of uh, uh, fighting disinformation. But, but that could very easily be turned into uh, uh, measures that prevent legitimate criticism of uh, the government. And, and we've seen that uh, in, uh, in countries like uh, uh, Brazil, in, in China, in Mexico, uh, in Myanmar, in, in Zimbabwe, uh, Bangladesh, uh, uh, Cambodia, Egypt. Uh, the, you know, there is a long list of countries that, that are trying to restrict Uh, the public discourse around coronavirus. And, and I think yeah. that's very dangerous to uh, the efforts of contain for, for containing it. Yeah, I've definitely seen media reports of journalists being silenced or even in some cases arrested, you know, using these new restrictions against uh, yeah, spreading, quote unquote, false, mis false information about COVID. Yes, uh, but and, in, in reality, and, these are just political opponents or, or people who are doing investigative reports on corrupt governments. Yes. And of course, in the meantime, you see the leaders from actually very powerful countries that are themselves uh, spreading Uh, misinformation. We've seen that in the U.S. with uh, President uh, Trump. Uh, we've seen that with uh, uh, President Bolsonaro in, in Brazil. Uh, uh, we've seen that with the president of, of uh, Mexico. We've seen that in, in Burundi, where the, the president there is arguing that that because uh, of his uh, special uh, the special relation of the, the country with God, the country will be protected. So we've seen a lot of leaders of, of, of countries actually participate in, in uh, minimizing the threat posed by uh, the, the coronavirus. And, and so it's quite ironic that, that uh, those same countries or some of those countries would then uh, try to control the public discourse. So you mentioned China earlier, and I think it's just an interesting case study because unlike, say, Hungary, it doesn't have like the trappings of democracy um, around it. And I just read this most fascinating report on the website of Human Rights Watch, in fact, um, you know, are basically demonstrating that many of the systems and methods designed and devised for population control of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang are now being used as ways to control The population at large, again, using COVID as, as a pretext, including, you know, the use of, of certain apps that are mandatory to be downloaded on phones and then combining those apps with certain facial recognition technologies to restrict people's movements. Again, all this is under using the pretext of, of COVID-19, but it's just sort of fascinating to me, to see how methods designed to oppress a minority are now being used uh, as methods of population control for 
you know the entire country. That, that's exactly right. And, you know, uh, uh, in a way, uh, China has been pioneering in Xinjiang uh, for years now, uh, the, the, the sort of uh, 21st century in, uh, tech-enabled uh, tyranny. Uh, it, 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 indeed, a lot of the tools that have been used to control and repress the, the Uyghur population uh, can be now mainstreamed into how uh, China deals with its uh, entire population. And, and, you know, in Xinjiang, uh, uh, face recognition-enabled cameras are absolutely uh, everywhere. The government has a, a, an incredible amount of data about uh, the Uyghur population there, including by collecting DNA samples and, and uh, retina uh, scans and, and things like that. They have a, an amazing ability to track the movement of every person. Uh, they, they have... Uh, 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 ways to collect information about who is living in every house is everybody is anybody moving and and, and some some governments are now using similar uh, techniques arguably to control uh, uh, the spread of the pandemic and enforce quarantine measures the russia is in the midst of actually uh, installing uh, in moscow and, and other places a large network of of uh, face recognition enabled uh, cameras the, the Israeli uh, uh, government has allowed the, the Shin Bet, the, the, the sort of uh, internal uh, uh, security or internal surveillance apparatus of uh, tracking people uh, through the use of their uh, cell phones and uh, geolocalization. So, you know, these tools are, are becoming uh, more and more mainstream. They are available to uh, many more uh, governments and the same tool that can be used arguably to uh, enforce uh, quarantines and, and make sure that uh, people who have contracted the disease uh, are not leaving their homes uh, can also be used to control the movements of uh, a political opponents or uh, any part of the population that is deemed uh, hostile to the, the government. Yeah, I mean, that Israel example is, again, also really interesting to me for the same reason that the the China example is. I mean, here you had this system of, you know, surveillance using, you know, big data and and, and data, you know, kept on of, of people's locations on their cell phones that, you know, the Shin Bet and the Israeli government developed ostensibly for, you know, quote, legitimate security reasons to protect themselves against terrorism and ostensibly they were probably mostly targeting minority populations in Israel or the Palestinians. But again, here is those same mechanisms being used uh, to monitor the population at large. And again, it's just like a very sort of interesting dynamic. And, it, you know, Israel is a, is a democracy. Uh, China is not. But it, it, that sort of the fact of, of one of them being authoritarian, one of them being a democracy doesn't seem to make a difference here, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, sadly, these, uh, you know, these tools become uh, available to everyone and, and they are very uh, easy to uh, misuse. And, and uh, uh, there is often a lot of uh, uh, opacity around uh, the deployment of these uh, uh, technologies. And, and some of these countries are, are exporting them, actually, both uh, China and, and, uh, and uh, Israel are countries that are... Uh, uh, quite advanced in using some of these uh, technologies and not always for for good um, but but you know I, I would also say that it's it's probably one of the the great concerns right now is that is that we are in the midst of, of an un unprecedented uh, public health uh, crisis around the world 
And it comes at a time when uh, human rights were already under attack around the world. We were already living in dangerous times for human rights. It's almost a perfect storm. We, you, know, you know, we had a lot of uh, countries that used to be, uh, I don't want to say champions on human rights, but certainly on, on, on the side of uh, countries that were trying to enforce human rights, both domestically and, and, uh, and uh, internationally, who have uh, receded. It's the case, of course, of the US. Uh, it's the case, of course, of the UK. Uh, to a lesser extent uh, uh, of uh, uh, France, but author, you know, authoritarian regimes are gaining ground uh, all over the, the world. We have a multiplication of uh, very serious conflicts with uh, mass atrocities, crimes uh, being committed with complete impunity, whether it's in Syria, in Burma, in Yemen. And now on top of that, we, we, you know, we have a public health uh, crisis that has Uh, given a green light to many uh, governments with authoritarian tendencies to implement uh, measures that further restrict uh, basic rights and basic freedoms. And it will be really important to make sure that these do not become permanent fixtures. Otherwise, uh, otherwise uh, the, the post-COVID-19 world uh, will be uh, one where, where freedom has, has further uh, receded. Yeah, I mean, before we were talking, I was just trying to think to myself, you know, what were some of the trends we were seeing in human rights already uh, before, you know, COVID-19? You know, I thought of democratic backsliding and, you know, that shrinking of space for civil society, for journalists and NGOs and, you know, uh, pro-liberty or freedom groups to to, to operate. Um, and, uh, of course, the use of surveillance technologies to uh, enforce population control. Um, And, and just it seems having talked to you, you know, that what we're seeing now is that this pandemic is just really an accelerant for these trends that were happening before, um, that, you know, everything that was going sort of wrong on human rights that was trending in the wrong direction is now trending in the wrong direction, but much faster. Is that like a fair assessment? I think it is. Sadly, I think it is. There is a, a real possibility that that uh, uh, countries that are using the pandemic as, as an excuse to further uh, entrench uh, their rule and further demonize uh, minorities will will come out of this crisis uh, stronger, and, and that uh, you know uh, uh, the uh, appetite for. Uh, uh, global advocacy to push for human rights will be lessened uh, by this situation because you know there is a sense that the the end justifies the means and that we have to we are facing a real threat and that uh, uh, everything is fair game uh, at a time like this one and it's not a time uh, during which people are eager to look at uh, nuances. So, you know, you see a lot of countries that are uh, using the crisis to further uh, deny the rights of uh, uh, asylum seekers, for example, uh, closing their borders, uh, further marginalize uh, uh, parts of the population uh, that were uh, already uh, underserved, uh, whether it's people living in, uh, uh, in institutions, people with uh, uh, disabilities, Uh, minorities, uh, people uh, uh, who have been deprived of their liberty uh, in uh, in prisons and jails. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, uh, 
uh, it couldn't come at a worst uh, time in a sense when when uh, uh, you know human rights were already uh, under attack. So I'm glad that earlier in the conversation you brought up 9/11, September 11th, because you know in many ways I feel like this is a movie that we've seen before. Um, after the September 11th attack, many countries around the world used counterterrorism as a pretext to enact restrictions and impose new laws that abrogated civil rights and, and human rights. Uh, you know, you mentioned the laws in the United States and an increased appetite for violating human rights in the form of torture, among other things. Um, I guess because we have seen this before, um, like what lessons have you as a human rights advocate learned from those previous experiences that you might be able to apply as you navigate the the weeks, the the days and, and the weeks and the months and perhaps even the years ahead? Well, you know, um, it's really the idea that uh, uh, there is a powerful narrative uh, out there in a time of crisis, which is that you, uh, uh, to get the job done, you take the gloves off. To uh, to borrow an expression from you know uh, uh, that that was born in the in the US after nine eleven, you face an imminent threat, and and you have to be uh, decisive. And so the usual rules. Uh, fly through the window. They do not apply anymore. You need to be uh, effective. Uh, you need to have results. And so uh, the price of that is is that you uh, you you don't abide by the rule book. And that's a very powerful uh, narrative. It's a seductive uh, narrative, even for the for public opinions at a time uh, of danger, because you want you want safety before everything else. You want to be safe from terrorists. You want to be safe from uh, the virus. The problem with that that narrative is that it it actually doesn't work. We've seen it play out in the U.S. The U.S. did take the gloves uh, off, uh, invaded uh, uh, Iraq without a mandate from the Security Council, uh, uh, captured detainees around the world, uh, tortured them, uh, hid them in a, in a network of uh, hidden. Uh, present was that effective in in uh, 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 countering terrorism? No, arguably, you know, the the war in Iraq uh, uh, led to uh, the, the the birth of uh, ISIS, and, and we are not safer from terrorists today than than uh, than we were uh, then. And in the process, the U.S. democracy and U.S. place the U.S. place in the world has been uh, deeply corroded by uh, by. Uh, 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 adopting some of these uh, measures. And, and I think it's the same with uh, the coronavirus. Uh, the countries that will emerge stronger are, are the ones who will act uh, decisively, take the measures that are necessary, uh, scientifically uh, justified, but do not go any further than that and do not sacrifice uh, human rights in the process, do not sacrifice uh, human dignity in the process. Uh, countries that have uh, authoritarian tendencies that are trying to suppress uh, 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 civil society, are trying to suppress uh, the free media, uh, are countries that will not be uh, where governments are not held accountable for the way they respond to the crisis. And unaccountable governments uh, tend to bungle the response. And we, we've seen that time and time again. 
We are poised, it seems, for just a, a further abrogation of, of human rights. All the, the bad trends that were trending poorly prior to the crisis are poised to get even worse. What is Human Rights Watch doing to guard against that, to push against that? What should advocates around the world be doing or, or thinking about as we enter this kind of new new era? Well, I would say vigilance. You know, uh, just over the last uh, the last few days, if you if you go on our website, uh, uh, we have a, a special page uh, for the the COVID nineteen crisis, and, and if you look in there, you'll see that we have press releases covering dozens of countries and, and criticizing every measure that's taken that that uh, goes too far. Uh, that uh, limit human rights uh, without uh, without proper uh, justification, and that that presents a, a danger over the long term. So it's it's a time uh, it's a time where advocates uh, around the world need to be hyper vigilant and need to hold uh, governments accountable for the way in which they uh, fight the the pandemic. It, it's a time of crisis. Uh, uh, decisive measures are needed. Uh, some restrictions on, on basic uh, uh, freedoms uh, can be justified, but we will not look the other way when governments uh, use the, the health emergency as a pretext to uh, further entrench their rule, to further uh, demonize uh, uh, minorities. So, you know, uh, at a time where many of us are, are stuck at home and where our researchers are not able to uh, to travel uh, freely as they usually are, uh, we need to find new tools and, and new methods of working to to ensure that that we are still that voice, uh, reminding governments of their uh, obligations and responsibilities. Uh, well, Philippe, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful and clarifying. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Philippe. And yeah, I just feel like that example of like Xinjiang uh, population control methods now being used in the you know, population at large and also the same thing kind of happening in Israel is just, just a fascinating example of how the abrogation of minority rights can be, you know, quickly in a time of crisis applied to you know, the entire population. Anyway, just a very, very fascinating conversation. Thank you to Philippe. And uh, again, as I said at the outset of this conversation, do feel free to reach out to me if there's anything on your mind. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Uh, I read all those messages. I respond to all of them. Uh, thank you. If it's helpful to you to reach out to me, I would just absolutely love to hear from you. If there's anything I can do to make this uh, socially distant time a little less distant, just just please let me know. I am happy to help. I think community is really important in times like this, and, and I've really sensed and, and been propped up by the sense of community that's built up around the show. So thank you. Thank you very much. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.